This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I cannot say that I've accomplished anything great or exceptional uh, to be worthy of your time this morning, um, but I can share with you a perspective of those who have known sacrifice and military service. In my short time in the military, I've had the opportunity to wear three different uniforms, as you've heard. Uh, the first was the surface fleet Navy right here. So I may make some enemies right now, and that's probably not the best way to start a message, but, you know, it's what we have to do. It's part of the service, I guess. Um, in, my, in my short time in the military, uh, I started out in the Navy, as you heard, deployed with Leyte Gulf, uh, named after a battle in the Philippines right there, uh, cruiser. Uh, so I spent some time in the cruiser world. Then I went over to the destroyers, spent some time on the destroyer world. So bravo Zulu to all you sailors out there today, okay? Um, and I am a, a Navy chaplain. So I've watched the sacrifice of our sailors as they said goodbye to their friends and family and set out to sea for months at a time, getting underway. I have to admit, my, my deployments were on real ships, okay? None of these floating cities, none of these, uh, these big, big decks with, uh, with coffee makers and Starbucks and all this stuff. I got my sea legs on cruisers and destroyers, okay? The small boy, the real Navy, that's where it's at, okay? Um, we'll give an invitation right there. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, the real Navy. I, I know what it's like to be on the small boy, and praise God, uh, loved it and enjoyed it. So all you carrier and, and big deck amphi amphib people, I'm sorry, regardless of the uh, platform, you know, uh, all joking aside, uh, it really is a sacrifice, and, it, and it's tough to be away. And so um, being out to sea involves its share of sacrifice. So in my closet, there are the Navy uniforms. They are there, and they take up that space and uh, wear them at the appropriate occasion. And then I had the privilege of serving with the Marines, the Marine Corps, uh, being a chaplain to Marines, as you heard in the bio, and not just any Marines, but for those of you devil dogs out there, you understand there's a difference between the Marines and then there are the grunts, okay, the grunts. That's where it's at. You know what it's like, uh, those of you who've uh, been with a grunt unit. Um, Brother Radice, I don't know where you were, so I, I may never get invited back. I don't know, but I'm, I'm just going to tell the truth here, okay? Grunt life is particularly arduous. Heavy packs, sleeping under the stars, or maybe the rain clouds. You know, the famous saying, if it ain't raining, we ain't training. So uh, uh, eating those not-so-delicious MREs for months at a time. Um, so to all of you uh, devil dogs, uh, hopefully that's, uh, I know that's a spiritual challenge to be a devil dog and a Christian at the same time. I'm not sure about that. I'm still working through that. But I say, oorah to you. And, uh, and of course, now I have the privilege of serving with the Coast Guard, the only branch dedicated primarily to saving lives rather than taking them. So Semper, semper Paratus. And uh, to mix it all up, my family and I, right now, we live on an Air Force base. So, you know, it, it's really, it's really kind of tough, you know. And so uh, for those of you serving in the Army and the Air Force, I'm still trying to figure you guys out. But I see these Air Force people every day. And I have to admit, when we play the surface, service songs, I go through an identity crisis. I really don't know what to do, you know. It just, uh, it's kind of, a, kind of a tough point there. So uh, I'll, I'll be emailing Tavis. Hopefully you can straighten me out, okay. But in all seriousness, today we honor those who have served in our military, and we recognize that sacrifice is inherent in the mission, um, a sacrifice that may even cost someone his or her own life while serving the line of duty. Some of you may remember Maybe not, maybe it was a blip on the radar, but recently, this past summer, I believe it was July 31st, 
there was a training accident off the coast of Camp Pendleton where uh, eight Marines and one corpsman uh, went down in an amphibious assault vehicle. That was my unit. Those were my Marines. I had left the unit literally 30 days prior, and I knew those Marines. I knew that corpsman. And uh, so whether it's in combat or whether it's in training, um, there's inherent sacrifice. Those needs may be there. Pardon me for just a moment as I, uh, as I think about that. Um, so the sacrifice is inherent, serving in the line of duty. And, and please understand, I, we have uh, a lot of service represented here, just the amount of people that, were, that stood when, when you have been in the service or family members, whether it's brothers, sisters, fathers, spouses, whatever. Um, wow, there's plenty that I haven't seen and done. I don't, I, by no means do I mean to say that I've seen it all. There's plenty that I have not seen and done. And those of you who have served or even now are serving, you, you've done things that I haven't done. You've seen things that I haven't seen, been places that I, I haven't been, all of that. But I think we can all agree on this. Regardless of the branch of service, regardless of the operation or the exercise or the training event, we have some incredibly brave men and women who have embraced hardship and sacrifice for the good of our nation. And... Uh, one famous uh, saying in the Coast Guard, as it goes, uh, speaking about dangerous missions is, and, and this is so moving but so true, and I think it characterizes all of our military service, is you have to go out, but you don't have to come back. And uh, that's that kind of sacrifice. Those are moving words and describe part of the ethos of the Coast Guard and really all of our military leadership uh, that they recognize as part of their duty. So um, today, I'd like to share just one example from history about such duty and sacrifice. And I think we have a picture of, uh, well, I should say uh, artwork, not, not an actual picture. And um, kind of take you back to the greatest generation, World War II. And uh, so every, uh, every Coastie knows this name. Um, most of the people in the military may not recognize this name, but every Coastie that I've met so far, I think, recognizes the name Douglas Albert Monroe. And I'll tell you why that name stands out, and the picture factors right into it there. Uh, every person I've met in the Coast Guard knows who he is. In fact, the building I work in is called the Monroe Building uh, after, in his honor. So I'll take you back. The year was 1942. On September 27th, the Marines were about a month into this battle at this place called Guadalcanal. All you Marines, I'm sure you've heard of Guadalcanal, right? First to fight. Uh, the campaign in the Asian Pacific. And the legendary, none other than... Chesty Puller himself, uh, right? Uh, the legendary Chesty Puller embarked three companies of Marines, almost 500 Marines, into two landing craft and eight Higgins boats, and you see the Higgins boats in the picture there, to take control of the western part of Guadalcanal. And signal, signalman first class, Douglas Monroe, was 22 at the time, and he took control of the, the fleet of about 10 small boats, 10 small boats, to move Chesty's men from the east coast of the island to the west coast so they could uh, land their attack. And the Marines successfully landed. They moved about 500 yards inland, and Monroe took all, uh, all but one of these small boats and returned to the staging area. However, just af after about an hour uh, after landing, the Marines were overcome by Japanese forces. The Japanese pushed the Marines back to the beach. The Marines were in a desperate predicament, pinned against the Japanese forces in the water. And they, they actually took their T-shirts and on the ridgeline spelled out the word H-E-L-P, help. Uh, they knew they were in a bad situation. And the message was clear. Back at the staging area, Monroe and the others could see this. And Monroe volunteered again 
to navigate the same waters, the same landing craft, to rescue these Marines from enemy fire. So he and his team neared the beach, and they were braving the incoming fire from the Japanese, and that's what you see in the picture going on right there. And he directed his landing craft to push forward. Well, uh, wise Marines that they are, uh, quickly re-embarked on the landing craft, getting out of there before it was too late as the Japanese forces began to close in. Monroe took his vessel and, and navigated in such a way that he placed himself between the Japanese fire and the embarking Marines. So he, he made his boat a shield for the Marines as they re-embarked. And because of Monroe, Monroe's efforts, all of the Marines that day, including the wounded, were extracted from the island. Although the Marines were spared from a sure defeat, a single Japanese bullet struck Monroe in the neck during the recovery. He died before the forces returned to the staging effort. As he was lucid, about to die, someone uh, spoke to him and, and, and brought him to just before he, he passed out for a final time. And his question was, did they all make it? That was his focus. That was his concern. And because of Monroe's sacrifice that day, Chester Puller himself was spared. Can you imagine what Marine Corps history would be like without the legacy of Chesty Puller? I can't imagine. But because of Monroe's sacrifice, Chesty Puller himself was spared. And Chesty Puller himself, in overwhelming appreciation for what Monroe did, nominated Monroe for the Medal of Honor. You see, every Coast Guardsman knows Douglas Monroe's name because Douglas Monroe is the only Coast Guardsman to ever win the Medal of Honor. And he is the only non-Marine to have his name enshrined on the wall of heroes at the National Museum of the Marine Corps. So when uh, I tell that story to emphasize this truth, when those of our military are called upon to make, make such a sacrifice, literally placing their lives on the line, we as a military and we as a nation, we should honor them. And that's what we've sought to do today. And we bestow recognition and awards on them. We give them things like the Bronze Star or the Navy Cross or even the Medal of Honor. Truly, we should. We are right to honor those who display such sacrifice. And even if you've served in the military and have not been in combat, by the sheer fact that you took the oath and put on this uniform, you have committed yourself to the defense of our nation. Yesterday, my family and I had an opportunity to go to Arlington just before we drove down here. If you've ever... Ben, you know what I'm talking about. If you've never been, you should go and see the sacrifice. Some of those people died in combat. Others lived out a life of service. But every one of them deserves our, their, our honor and our respect. And that's part of what we are doing today. And as I think about that, we recognize this truth. Uh, and you may recognize this phrase. Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. But we should recognize that this kind of sacrifice, it doesn't come naturally. That kind of devotion to duty, it, it's not inherent in and of ourselves. It requires an extraordinary display of selfless love. And I'd like to focus on that kind of selfless love for just a few, min few minutes. Think about that statement. Greater love has no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. Perhaps you've known somebody who's exemplified that kind of love. Can you think of them? I think Doug Douglas Monroe would fall in that category. This type of love is, in fact, supreme love, the supreme kind of love. And as such, it doesn't come easily. 
In fact, I submit to you that without God's help, it doesn't come at all. You see, this kind of love, this self-sacrificial kind of love, is rooted in the love of God himself. And so that statement, no greater love hath a man than this, that comes from our text today, John chapter 15. These words were first issued not from a, some Marine Corps motto or, or Army slogan or Air Force slogan or whatever. We know the Army came before the Air Force. We won't get in that fight either, okay? Um, uh, where did these words first come from? They came from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And here we come to John chapter 15. And I will not take the time this morning to delve fully into the context of the passage. But we should note a few things about the context. Jesus gave these words to his disciples just hours before he was to be crucified. It was the night of his betrayal. Jesus sat with his disciples, the Last Supper. Judas Iscariot had, had left the room, dispatched to, to fulfill his devilish miss, mission, gone to betray Jesus Christ. Jesus knew that the clock was ticking. The window of time that he had left to pour truth into, truth into the life of his disciples was rapidly closing. By the end of chapter 14, Jesus and his disciples had left the upper room and headed toward that place, the Garden of Gethsemane, where he would sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. And John chapter 15 and chapter 16 record Jesus' final charge to his disciples before his arrest and crucifixion. At this critical time, Jesus it explains the importance for believers to be connected to Christ. And that's how chapter 15 begins. I won't read all the verses, but chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me, beareth, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So Jesus is explaining to the disciples the necessity of them being connected to Christ, connected to God the Father, if they are going to live for Christ in the hours, the days, and of course the years ahead. And so Jesus uh, explains this importance, and, and he continues. He moves on to describe this kind of love that we're talking about today, the kind of love that would cause a person to lay down his life. And we begin in verse 9. I'd like to read for you John chapter 15, verses 9 through 13. John chapter 15, verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that your joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you, and then our text today, greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. You know, in my time in the military, I, I knew this text before I entered the military, before I entered the chaplaincy. But when I was stationed with my uh, unit in the, in the Marine Corps there on Camp Pendleton, there on the side of the, the BAS, BAS, the Battalion Aid Station, were these words, this very verse, greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down uh, his life for his friends. And, and the mindset, the ethos there among our corpsmen, uh, those devil docs as they like to call them, uh, was that this is the kind of 
care that we need to give uh, to our Marines. This idea of selfless love, and again, it comes right from the words of Jesus Christ himself. So what is Christ talking about here in John chapter 15? What's going on in this passage? What is this love that he's talking about? It's worthy of our attention. I mean, if it's the highest form of love, we should try to kind of understand what, what's going on here. So let's look at, look at this. Let's delve into this. The first thing that Jesus tells us about this love is Jesus explained that it is not our love for God that makes a difference. It's not our love for God that makes the difference. It's God's love for us that makes the difference. Perhaps you're familiar with the words of John 3.16. I hope you are. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's not our love for God that is so great and so wonderful. It's his love for us. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. Look, as I'm about to be crucified and, and all this is about to take place, what you need to remember here is, is not your love for God and what you've committed to and, and whatever. No, you need to remind yourself, you need to be reminded of God's amazing, immeasurable love for you. God's love is, it, it surpasses all of this. As the Father hath loved me, Jesus says in verse 19, so have I loved you. It's God's love for you that makes a difference. And, and when you look at John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the thrust of that passage there, among other things, is this, is, this kind of love is completely selfless love that a father would give his son, that a perfect father would give his perfect son, that an all-powerful father would give his all-powerful son. It's immeasurable. This is the highest form of love. And Jesus continues. He doesn't stop there. He says there really is no greater selfless love than the love of the father for the son, but also the love of the son for humanity, the love of the Father and the Son for humanity. This kind of love, Jesus, the Father and the Son, gave themselves, uh, the Son paying the sacrifice for us so that we could have God's love, so that we could experience God's love. And that's what he tells his disciples in verse 9. As the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. So the first thing that we see about this kind of love is it is God's love. It flows from God. The only way somebody can really, truly love somebody in a full, self-sacrifice way is that God enables that person to do it. It's rooted in, in God's goodness and, and ability. The second thing we see about this kind of love, and we should note this, look at verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is huge. Those of you uh, who've lived a little bit of life, and maybe you have a son or a daughter or somebody you've, you've cared for, you can attest to this, uh, what we read in verse 11, and that is true love and joy are inseparably connected, aren't they? I mean, you think about it as a parent. Uh, if you have a child and, and you want to display your love and, and you're excited about giving your child this gift, and, and there's a joy in giving, right? There's a joy in serving when you're serving in love. And, um, and Jesus says, this kind of love, it results in joy. There, joy is connected with this. And so we understand that from our, even our, 
uh, broken human perspective. Both recognizing that we are loved and displaying love to others brings a measure of joy to life, doesn't it? Uh, You know what that's like. But this joy that Jesus speaks about is even more than a passing joy. Look what kind of joy he describes. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. He's talking about a full joy. Wow, a full joy. Uh, More than a passing joy, complete joy or full joy. In other words, Jesus is saying this kind of selfless love, God's love in a person, this selfless kind of uh, sacrifice that, that has flowed from God himself through Christ into a person's life, this kind of love causes a person to leave off their own way of thinking, causes them to leave off the, the inherent built-in-us self-preservation and instead invest themselves in living out the love of God for others. Living out God's love for others. And when a person does that, when a person receives God's love through Christ and, and takes it for themselves and then remains in it and lives out God's love uh, by God's grace, not by the own individual's great ability because it's God's love in the first place, right? When, uh, when a person does that, the result that Jesus says is full joy, complete joy. Now, I don't know about you, but I want joy in my life, right? I, I want to have uh, peace and joy in all these things. Uh, I was watching the news last night, uh, watching what was going on in D.C., and uh, we live in D.C., okay, uh, on the base, uh, praise the Lord. But, you know, I was thinking last night as I was watching the news, wow, I'm really glad to be in the hotel tonight and not in D.C., you know, because there's a lot of unrest, a lot of lack of peace. And there are some people that are joyful and some people that aren't so joyful. But in Christ, when we live out the love of Christ, it is full joy, complete joy. That's what God's kind of love does. That's what God's kind of love brings, is this highest self-sacrificial love that brings full joy. In other words, this kind of selfless love causes a person to leave off their way of thinking and invest themselves. And when a person does that, God's joy remains in them. Perhaps you're here today looking for joy and satisfaction. Maybe you're disillusioned with what life has to offer. I mean, again, all you really have to do is turn on the TV and you see lots of people that are disillusioned one way or the other. And uh, God is on the throne. God is, Christ is king. We'll talk more about that tonight. Shameless plug to invite you tonight, okay? Uh, Right there. Uh, but, But a lot of people disillusioned and lacking joy, disillusioned with what life has to offer. Surely there must be more to life than amassing things for ourselves or experiences or, or my candidate wins or your candidate wins or my candidate didn't win or whatever. There must be more to it than that. Only to leave it all behind, right? Christ explained to his disciples that the only way to have full joy was to live out God's love through a person's life. That's the way to have full joy. So Christ charges his disciples. What does he tell them to do? Verse, uh, verse 12, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Why does Christ give this commandment? Well, among other things, he wants his disciples to have full joy. He wants his disciples to know God's joy and love through them. So Jesus charged his disciples to love one another with the same God-given love that flowed from God the Father through Christ To them, and by the way, can flow through us as well. So Christ gives this charge. And then we see a third truth about this highest form of love. We've already looked at it. Verse 13 again, Greater love hath no man than this, 
than that a man lay down his life for his friends. This highest form of love is willing to sacrifice oneself for another. One author said it this way, and I like this, self-sacrifice is the high watermark of love. Jesus explained that he was about to prove his love for them and for us and for all of humanity. You see, on this night, when Jesus was about to be betrayed, he knew exactly what he was doing. It wasn't an accident or, or a surprise. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew he was about to lay down his life for mankind. Why? For us. You see, some 2,000 years ago, God took on flesh. Jesus Christ became a human. Why? So he could save humans. Romans 5.8, but God committed or demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like the Marines on Guadalcanal or any other person in peril, we as humans are in peril. But Christ did what no one else could do. He came to our rescue to snatch us from the jaws of eternal damnation, eternal danger. And in order to save us from the eternal destruction, he had to lay down his life for you and for me. He sacrificed himself for us. There is no other way. There is no other deliverance, eternal deliverance. And Jesus, in love, laid down his life. Nobody took it from him. Jesus said this to his disciples, speaking about his life. He told his disciples, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. He willingly sacrificed himself. He willingly submitted himself to the cross. He allowed himself to be beaten and tortured and ultimately crucified. Why? So he could take on our sin debt, so he could save us from eternal destruction, so we could have life here and now, joy here and now, but eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in so doing, Jesus made it possible for us to live. But you and I know there's more to this story. Uh, the, the story of Jesus does not end there. He did not stay dead, uh, did he? By his own power, he resurrected himself from the grave. Why? So that he could safely carry all those who place their trust in him to eternal glory. And everyone who looks to him to be rescued from sin and eternal damnation, he gives life and hope and joy and salvation. And this is exactly what we see in verse 11. Jesus gives us joy, divine joy, when we receive his divine love and we live it out. I wonder about you today. Have you experienced the salvation that only Jesus can give? Have you been rescued? Oh, I know that there are those in this world who want nothing to do with God, who think that Christ's sacrifice is a far-fetched story and maybe even mock the idea of mock the idea that we need somebody to save us. But just because it's mocked doesn't mean it's not true. When it comes to the spiritual, somehow, somehow when it comes to the spiritual, it's, it's easy to ignore the peril that we face without Christ. We can be blind to our real situation. But this matter of trusting Christ is important. In fact, it's the highest form of love, as we've just seen. In fact, it's more important, far more important than anything else in this life. I wonder, do you know what it means to have been rescued by Christ? To have your soul delivered from imminent danger? Do you know what that means? If not, I invite you to do so today. If you're unsure what all it means, then I encourage you, seek out someone. Maybe the person who invited you here today. To make sure that you know 
what it means to be rescued by God himself. That you have a full understanding, literally an experiential understanding to know what it is, this kind of life, this kind of love that somebody would lay down their life for you, as Jesus did for us, what Jesus did for us. I invite you, uh, ask the person who invited you, take the hand of the pastor after the service, do something to make sure you know this kind of love, that you know that you have experienced the love that Jesus has given us and that you experience salvation. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for those who have served and are serving in our nation's military and the families that support them. I can't imagine being in military service without the support of my family. Your sacrifice makes our world a better and a safer place. And I hope you feel honored. That has been our goal. But this matter of the highest form of love, if we just honor you and miss the truth that this is God's kind of love and and what Christ has done for us and to to receive Christ and experience that love and, and let his love flow through us, if we miss that, if we honor our military and the families and we miss the importance of this eternal love of having eternal salvation, if we honor and we miss this, well, then we've really missed it. And, and really, they go together because that's the only way that that self-sacrifice can really come about. So thank you for being here today, and I hope you understand the importance of this. And I, I want to tell you, here in Chesapeake, you have a church, a body of people who appreciate what you do. I've known Brother Taylor for a few years. And so because he's part of this church, I think I can safely say this. This is not a perfect church because Brother Taylor's here, okay? <laughs> right? Uh, I love what I had one pastor tell me. If you ever find the perfect church, Brother Hoyle, don't join it because you'll ruin it. And he's absolutely right because I'm not a perfect person. And this, you know what? Uh, any, any church that's seeking to glorify God, we're just a bunch of saved sinners. Uh, in need of God's grace and trying to live out God's grace. But here in Chesapeake, you have a body of people, a church, that understand that. Why? Because they understand what it means to be rescued. To have Jesus display the supreme form of love and to lay down his life and to die on a cross for your sins and for mine. And to rise again from the dead and to say, whosoever believeth in me shall never perish, but have everlasting life. So you have that everlasting life, and thank you for being here, and thank you for Good News Baptist Church. You, if you've never been here, or even if you're part of this church, you're sitting in what I call a hospital for sinners, a place where broken people come and find Christ rescuing and forgiveness and hope. And perhaps today, even if you already know Christ, maybe, just maybe, you find yourself in need of a spiritual hospital like this one. you got some brokenness in your life, and some problems. You need to come to Christ and, and maybe you need some godly counsel or, or a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ to help you and, and get back in the Word and get grounded. Maybe, just maybe, even if you already know Christ, you find yourself in need of a spiritual hospital like this one. The need is real. Um, as I was preparing for this message and uh, keeping, keeping track with my former Marine Corps unit, it happened again. Scrolling through Facebook and, and some of those Marines to whom I ministered, and I saw just last week one of the Marines with whom I served took his life. Searching for hope. Broken. Oh, how I wish he would have come for a, to a hospital for sinners and somebody point him to the life and the hope. In verse, I lost the verse there. Let me get it. Verse 11. 
pointed him to full joy because he didn't have that joy. And, and I thought, wow, as I'm studying this passage, oh, how I wish he would have known that full joy. And I served with this guy. I had the opportunity to, to share the gospel and, and minister with, with all those men that I was with. And then even this morning as I was, you know, kind of scrolling through the news feed or whatever, I learned of yet another Marine that I'd served with. Listen, this is more than just coming to church. Well, you know, we expect people to talk about God in the Bible, and we should. That's right. But this kind of joy, this kind of hope, this kind of healing, it's real. And it makes a difference in this life and in eternity. So Christ did more, Christ did more than just come to save our soul from hell. He came to reconcile you to God, to give you new meaning and purpose, new direction, to give you complete joy. It doesn't mean all your problems go away. It doesn't mean uh, everything's good and the sun's always shining and the birds are always singing. Wow, we still live in a fallen, sin-cursed earth, don't we? But it means this, God's love can flow through us because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we have experienced the greatest, the highest form of love. And by his grace, we can live that out. Christ did more than just to save ourselves from hell as if that's not enough. But he came to give us eternal life. And then, before we leave our passage and before we finish today, Jesus did something else with his disciples. In fact, verses 14 and 15 of our text tells, tell us that those who know Christ and live out his love are raised to a higher level. Look at what he says in verse 14. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I have commanded you. Now what has he commanded them? Well, it doesn't take a scholar to figure it out. It's just a few verses prior. Verse 12, we'll go back to it. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And so in verse 14 he says, You are my friends if you do whatsoever I have commanded you. Henceforth I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Then he says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth much fruit. To think that any person would ever be worthy to be called the friend of God. And that's what Jesus tells his disciples. When you receive the Father's love that has flowed through me as I laid down my life for you, and you go out by, by God's power, the Father's power and my power, and you live out that kind of love because you've experienced it and God's love is working in you. John chapter 4, Jesus, called, uh, Jesus told the woman of the well, it's a well of water springing up in you. It just, it just keeps coming. When you live out that kind of love, you are my friends. Servant, he doesn't, know, he doesn't know what his master does, but the friend knows. He understands some things. To think that one person, whatever, any person, would ever be worthy to be called the friend of God. For a person to willingly lay down his life to save others, there is no greater love. You know, those 500 men on Guadalcanal, not one of them had to think long and hard about whether they needed to be rescued. No. Those boats pulled up, that gate dropped, they were getting out of there as quick as they could. Now, I'm sure they were laying down fire and suppression and all that, but they knew somebody cared about them. They knew they, they loved it, and they were thankful for it, and they did not hesitate to receive it. They all made it out 
by God's grace alive. They knew they needed physical deliverance. They received that kind of love. When I think of God being in control, his sovereignty, I realize that there is no accident that you're here today. God knew that. God knew that you'd be here. God knows that you need and I need that kind of love. Have you received Christ's love for you? Christ died and rose again to rescue you. Are you living the rescued life? Has he delivered you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, thank you for everyone here today who has served, is serving, or is somehow associated with, related with those who have served in the military or are serving. Lord, their sacrifice has made our nation better. But Lord, thank you most of all for the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for showing us what supreme love is, not just telling us about it, but demonstrating it and providing it to us, giving us salvation and then placing your Holy Spirit within us that enables us to live out that kind of love. Lord, I pray that if there are those here today that do not know that kind of love, that have never trusted Christ as Savior, I pray that they would receive you as Savior today. And Lord, for those of us who do know you as Savior, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to run to your love and receive healing and grace and by your spirit and by your power live out your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.